0: Turn, if you will, to Genesis to the 32nd chapter. I want to share with you this morning steps to receiving God's blessing. I think it's very pertinent because nowadays everybody's running around to receive a blessing. I don't know how many people came to me and said, oh, you've got to go down to this church in Lakeland. There are all the blessings that are flowing down. I went down and I saw the people were having some emotional giddy experiences, but I came away thinking, you know, I didn't really get fed and get drawn closer to Jesus Christ. I was more enamored by watching the happenings that were going on around. And I thought, you know, what is include, what is involved in really receiving a blessing? Some people say, oh, if I get healed, oh, if I if I get some money, oh, if I get that no, no, no. I'm talking about scriptural, spiritual blessing. Now it's nice to get material blessings once in a while. I never forget it'll be a life, it was a lifetime experience to have a man walk up and hand me a brand new Cadillac. He used a brand new Cadillac years ago. But let me tell you something, that didn't that wasn't the spiritual blessing of which the Word of God speaks all the time. And I want you to st- I want to study with you this morning the life of Jacob and show you how he received the blessing. There's some interesting things we can learn from him. Genesis 32 beginning of verse 1 and Jacob went on his way and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them he said this is God's host and he called the name of that place Mahanaim. And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau his brother unto the land of Seir the country of Edom, and he commanded them, saying, Thus shall you speak unto my lord Esau. Thy servant Jacob saith thus, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed there until now, and I have oxen and asses and flocks and men men servants and women servants, and I have sent to tell my lord that I may find grace in his sight. We'll talk a little bit about the background as to why he was doing this. He was quite a scoundrel earlier in his life, and now he's a little bit Concerned as he's getting ready to, his past is getting ready to catch up with him. Verse 6. And the messengers returned to Jacob, saying, We came to thy brother Esau, and also he cometh to meet thee. He's coming to meet you, Jacob. Isn't that wonderful? Your brother that you really messed up and stole his birthright from him and took the blessing from him, he's coming to meet you. And what? And 400 men with him. (laughs) I'm sure Jacob didn't receive that with a lot of joy. And Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed and he divided the people that was with him and the flocks and herds and the camels into two bands. And he said, if Esau come to one company and smite it, then the other company which is left shall escape. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, the Lord which saith unto me, return unto thy country and unto thy kindred and I will deal well with thee. I'm reminding you what you said, Lord. Here comes Esau with 400 men and you said if I come back you're going to deal well with me. And he's shaking in his boots. You know Jacob always had trouble believing God. When Joseph told him that God had given him a vision that he was going to rule and reign if Jacob had just believed that he never would have believed that Joseph was dead. You know that? Never would have believed when they came and told him he was dead. He said can't be dead because God told me he's going to rule and reign. The only time we get into problems is when we don't believe what God says. He says, I'm not worthy of, now he's really getting humble before God. I'm not worthy of the least of all the mercies and of all the truth which thou hast showed unto thy servant. For with my staff I passed over this Jordan, and now I am become two bands. Deliver me, I pray thee, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau. For I fear him, lest he will come and smite me and the mother with the children. Do any of you identify yourselves here? Do any of you identify others, Christians that you know they can really get spiritual and fervent in prayer when it looks like the bottom's ready to fall out? I mean, he had no defense against all he has women and children, a few few uh, sheep herders with him. And here comes this brother with four hundred people. I mean, he got spiritual. He this was what you call a foxhole prayer. Any of you know what they used to call about foxhole Christians during the war? they're in the foxholes, It's a say, God, anything, anywhere, I'll go anywhere, I'll go to the, the, the worst uh, heathen of Hottentots in Africa, I'll go clear down to where no one is even alive, I'll go anywhere you want me to go, God, just get me out of this foxhole. And as soon as they get out of the foxhole, of course, they forget it, once God delivers them. Jacob's in praying a foxhole prayer here. Verse 12, And thou saidest, I will surely do thee good, and make thy seed as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. Why do you think he's reminding of God, reminding God of these things? He said, you said it, and the only reason I'm here is because you told me to come here. God, help me. I'm right here in the midst of a mess right now. And he lodged there that same night and took of that which came to his hand a present for Esau his brother. Now he begins to think and begins to use the old Jacob nature. 200 she-goats and 20 he-goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 milk camels and their colts, 40 kine and 10 bulls, 20 she-asses and 10 foals, And he delivered them into the hand of his servants, every drove by themselves, and said unto his servants, Pass over before me, and put a space betwixt drove and drove. So the camels go, and then the cattle go, and then the goats go, then the sheep go, all in separate waves coming toward Esau. Maybe each one will kind of soften him as it gets to him. And he commanded the foremost, saying, When Esau my brother meeteth thee and asketh thee, saying, Whose art thou? And whither goest thou, and whose art these before thee? Then thou shalt say, They be thy servant Jacob's. It is a present sent unto my lord Esau, and behold also he is behind us. And so commanded he the second and the third, and all that followed the droves, saying, On this manner shall ye speak unto Esau when ye find him. And say ye, Moreover, behold thy servant Jacob is behind us. Behold thy servant Jacob is behind us, for he who said, I will appease him, with the present that goeth before me, and afterward I will see his face peradventure, he will accept me. Actually the Hebrew says, I will cover over his face with this present, so that he will not uh, see my offenses. I'm going to try to pay him off. I'm going to try to give him enough that he'll say, well, I guess I can forget. I mean, this guy's a pretty nice guy now. He must have changed. Verse 21, So went the present over before him, and himself lodged that night in the company. And he rose up that night, he couldn't sleep too well, and took his two wives and his two women servants and his eleven sons and passed over the ford Jabbok. And he took them and sent them over the brook and sent over that he had. Took his, sent his personal belongings over the brook. And Jacob was left alone and there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, Let me go, for the day breaketh. And he said, I'll not let thee go, except thou bless me. And he said unto him, What is thy name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, Thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel, for as a prince hast thou power with God and with men, and hast prevailed. And Jacob asked him and said, Tell me, I pray thee thy name. And he said, Wherefore is it that thou dost ask after my name? And he blessed him there. And Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, For I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. And as he passed over Penuel, the sun rose upon him, and he halted upon his thigh. The interesting verse there is verse 29. It says, and he blessed him there. It's a rather strange story. I don't know that Jacob really thought he was going to be blessed in a special way when he got alone there. But uh, it's interesting how the Scripture is full of places, unlikely strange places, where people met God. You see, uh, there is no place too strange to meet God. Some people think you have to have stained glass windows. Of course, we have plastic sheets up over our windows to make them look like stained glass. Some people think you have to have certain furniture and nice carpeting. and Of course, the air conditioning. God, you can't meet God without the air conditioning. Uh, all these things there has to be just the right setting, and you have to have the right music being played. But as I read the Word of God, it's interesting. Jacob here was by a brook when he, accepted, when he met the Lord. Moses was out in the middle of a sun-baked desert, running or uh, herding around a bunch of stinking sheep. I really can't help but believe that the furthest thing from Moses' mind at the time when he was out there in the middle of the desert was that all of a sudden he was going to have a meeting with God when that bush started burning. Now there was nothing spiritual about it. There was, there was no setting. There was, all the extra trappings were not there. But Moses had a mighty meeting with God to change his whole life. And, and when Elijah was running from Jezebel, remember after he destroyed all the uh, priests of Baal? And uh, Jezebel said, what's been done to them, I'm going to do to you. And he took off running and he started crying, saying, God, I'm the only one that still has about his need to Baal. And I'm just, a, I'm all alone, dear God. I'm such a persecuted person. And God says, come here, man, get up here and get in that cave. And the presence of God went before him. Elijah began to cry out about that time after his Mount Carmel experience running from a woman. He had a, a, a vision of God. He didn't expect this to happen. God went by and, and he says, "Woe me! I, I'm really, I, I really am not really worthy, I, but I'm the only one. God says, you're not the only one. I've got 7,000 others that have not bowed to me. There's times I know when you and I feel, boy, are we the only ones? No, God's got his, his, his witnesses all over the country. They just haven't had a chance to connect yet. I believe when they do, there's going to be even greater things that God's going to do in the days ahead. But I want you to know that it doesn't make any difference. Where we are can be the most unusual place in the world. If we're ready to meet God, God's ready to meet us. Ezekiel was by the stream in Babylon. He was by the river Chebar When the Spirit of God came upon him and he had this vision and all these wonderful things, God began to call him and told him he wanted him for a special ministry. The Samaritan woman was by the well. How many of you know she didn't go to the well thinking, well, today I'm going to go to the well, I'm going to get a blessing from God. She went in the heat of the day when no one else was there because she was embarrassed for her lifestyle. God met her there in a very unusual way. How about Saul of Tarsus? How many of you know Saul of Tarsus did not take a kneeling pad with him on the road to Damascus, getting ready to persecute the Christians and kill them and and throw them into prison? How many of you know it was kind of a shock to him when all of a sudden he ran headlong into Jesus Christ, the Son of God? There was no church there, but I want to tell you something. He had a special private conversation with Jesus Christ that day on the road to Damascus. And that's the problem we have many times. We, we think that we keep God in a, in a little box. And a little question. There's only certain ways in the temple, in the church, at the altar, in the cathedral. And somebody's got to preach, and you know, even the Catholic folks down in South America, I'm told, when they leave the shrines, they go on these pilgrimages every year to the shrine. When they leave, they say Adios Christos. In other words, see you next year, Christ. The only time we'll ever be able to get close to you is when we come to the shrine here. But we'll see you next year. They have no concept of the fact that God says, for those that love Him and trust Him, that He'll never leave them nor forsake them. I think Jacob learned something here. I think he learned that any place is sacred, can be sacred, if the internal conditions are met. I mean, Jacob got down heavy and really began to pray and really got honest and earnest with God. I can remember when I was in Bible college years ago, many years ago. The second year I was in school was with 1958 and 59. We had a revival meeting, for a one-week revival meeting. Had a speaker come in, and God really began to bear down on me And I went to my room and I couldn't sleep and you're supposed to have the lights out at a certain time and and I had a roommate who was a night watchman so he watched me very closely And, and I knew I had to spend time with God so I took a couple of blankets and a pillow and went down in the dining room in the basement of the men's dormitory pulled about three chairs out, crawled in under there pulled the chairs back in under there and got down under that table in the dark dining room and I knew if the white night watchman came through if I'd be quiet he wouldn't know I was there and he would go on through. And I remember spending all night, I'd been fasting that day, and spent all night crying out to God. And God did a work in my heart that night when I was willing to get down and get serious with God in a very... I mean, how many of you know that God's not supposed to meet you under a dining room table in the middle of a, di- of a dining hall? Especially in a men's dormitory. But that became that can become the place of blessing. For Jacob, that very unusual place became a place of, Jacob, uh, of blessing. And God conferred to him that night the needed grace... The power to know and to do God's will. He gave him the required cleansing. He empowered him to where he stood up and said, God has redeemed my life. I'm able to go on now. He was at the end of his rope and he said, I can go on. The the first thing I want you to notice here about the place of blessing, it was a place of separation. Very important that you see this. Look at verse 24. It says, and Jacob was what? Left alone. You have to get back now and study the life of Jacob to understand why he was in this hot spot. Remember that Jacob had a brother, Esau. Jacob was more of a mama's boy. He stayed around home and did cooking and stuff, and uh, mama really loved him. But daddy, Isaac loved uh, Esau because he was a wild, hairy man, and went out hunting, and he brought in venison and all the different uh, animals, and and, uh, Isaac really loved uh, wild meat. And so he would send his son uh, Esau out to get the meat all the time. Well, one time Esau came in, and Jacob was cooking this mess of pottage like a stew and uh, Esau said man I am starved I've got to have something to eat and Jacob was always an opportunist See that word Jacob means supplanter supplanter and uh, it means uh, one who tries to get away with things tries to get around he's a manipulator a a maneuvering person and he said, I, You want something to eat? Hey, I got a lot to eat right here. He said, Let's smell this. Isn't that good? Smell good. How many of you know when you go through the mall, they have these fans that blow the smell right out in your face? You go by That's why I always want to eat before I go to the mall because they can just destroy anything, any weight loss program you got. But, but Jacob is say, Here, smell this. Isn't, doesn't that smell good? And he said, Oh, man, I he said, I'll tell you what, you sell me your birthright and you can have all you want. He said, what good's my birthright if I starve to death? He said, Okay, if you swear to me, you'll sell me your birthright. He's okay, I swear to you, you can have my birthright, now feed me. So he fed him. You see, the scripture says Esau didn't give much consideration for the birthright. But you see, being the eldest son, he would get a double portion of the blessing, and the greater blessing would be put upon him as the eldest son. And Jacob just snatched it away from him there. Now, later on, when Isaac became old and blind, the day came when he told the boys that he wanted to bless them, and he said, Isaac Esau wants you to come in for the blessing, but first of all, go get me some venison and bring it in, and have mom fix it and bring it in to me so I can eat it, and then I'll bless you. Well, his mother, his, his wife, Rebecca, heard that, and Jacob was her favorite, and so she went to Jacob, and she said, we're going to have to do something really quickly here, or your brother's going to get that blessing. So she took some fur, some, uh, some wool, and put it around his neck, and around his hands, and over up on his wrists, and he put that like, so he would even smell like Esau, and she cooked the meat very quickly while poor Esau was out getting some animal, killing an animal, and he took it in to his father and said, Father, I've come for your blessing. And he said, you don't sound like Esau. Oh, yes. He says. here, feel and see. And he felt the fur. He couldn't see. He was blind. He felt and he said, it, it sounds like Jacob, but it must be Esau. And so he laid his hands on him and he blessed him. He not only took his birthright, but he stole the blessing from Esau. And when Esau came in, he said, father, here, I've got the meat for you. Let's eat. He said, what are you talking about? I already gave you the blessing. He said, what? He said, Jacob must have come in and stolen my birthright. And when he got angry, Rebecca found out about it. She said, You better go see my brother. Jacob took out of the house and headed for Laban, her brother, in Mesopotamia, to live with him for a while until Esau could cool off. And then Isaac gave a secondary blessing to Esau because Jacob had stolen his first blessing. And when he went on to Mesopotamia, he began to prosper, being Jacob, being a supplanter, being a manipulator, being a person who was a con artist, uh, he became a shepherd for his uncle Laban, and Laban himself was a con artist. They just had to try to outmanipulate manipulate each other. The Scripture says that, well, first of all, he wanted to marry his daughter Rachel. He said, well, I'll work seven years for your daughter, free. I'll just work as a sl- servant for you for seven years if I can have your daughter Rachel. He said, hey, that's fine. At the end of the seven years, now Jewish marriages, of course, you couldn't tell who it was that you are marrying unless they were so huge that, and different in size because they had heavy veils over their face when they came in to make the vows. And he went in and made the vows after seven years, and when he got into the marriage chamber, lo and behold, it wasn't Rachel. It was her older sister with the cow eyes, Leah. And he said, hey, I didn't buy this one. I worked seven years for Rachel. What's going on? He came out very angry. He said, well, he said, I know that, but I can't marry off my younger daughter until I marry off my older daughter first. He said, if you want to work another seven years, you can have Rachel. And so he did. And then he continued on even longer years after that to begin to build up his own flocks. And he went to Laban and Laban said, well, you can have all the, the, uh, the single colored animals. If they're all black, you can have them. And uh, then I'll keep the ones that are spotted and the white ones. And Jacob had some method. We don't know what it was, but he did something with the sheep. so all they started casting off was dark animals. Laban said, whoa, 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 this isn't going to work, let's change that. You take the spotted ones and I'll take the full colored ones. Oh, okay, so I'll keep the ones that I've got, but from now on just the spotted ones are throwing you out because all they're throwing off is solid colors. Okay, don't worry about it. And then he got some kind of poles, put them up in front of the animals and when they were feeding and when they saw these poles, for some reason they began to cast off nothing but spotted animals. Laban says, there is something wrong around here. No matter what happens, you seem to be blessed and everything seems to be going your way. So he wasn't really popular even with his father-in-law. So then, after 20 years, he decides to return to to Palestine. And he gets on his way and they come to him and say, hey, cheer up, things can get worse. And so he did and it did. And uh, all of a sudden he found his brother coming with 400 men. Jacob was always very shrewd and very self-reliant. Someone said, too much Jacob. Sometimes he worshipped when it was important, when it was necessary, or he was going to lose everything. And other times he was trusting in himself and his own cunning. And uh, when he saw Esau coming again, the old bribery, the old Jacob came out. He said, we'll just send one wave after another of gifts, and maybe it'll soften him up a little bit. And then he put Leah after the animals and, then, and her children, and then after that, Rachel and her children right next to him, because he still loved Rachel above all the rest of them. And, uh, but he still realized that he was in a crisis where he was totally helpless. What was he going to do? I mean, 400 men could come in and just wipe out everybody, take all the animals and everything, and it would all be, belong to, to Esau. So he got alone with God. It said he was alone there, and he faced himself and faced God. I want to tell you something, it is very, very typical for all of us who like to be around where there's a lot of cheering and a lot of praising and a lot of singing and a lot of happiness and a lot of ongoing and a lot of busyness around us because it helps us forget what the real issues of life are all about. Every once in a while we come right up against a wall and we keep this illusion out there while all the noise is going on that we're somebody and something when we're nobody and nothing without Jesus Christ. And we always tend to think that we're right when we know that we're wrong. And Jacob didn't want to face that. And there had to come a time only when God could get him alone. God could deal with him. I like what one man said one time. Abraham Cowley said, It's very contradicting in human nature that men should love themselves above all the rest of the world and yet never endure to be alone. Isn't that amazing? Love themselves so much, but they can't stand to be by themselves. Not very many people who enjoy being by themselves. Now, my wife was one person that loved to be by herself. I mean, she could, if I I've kidded about it, I could go off on a 10-day trip. And when I'd come back, she'd be sewing, look up and say, oh, what do you want for supper, honey? You I, well, like, not like, well, where have you been? I mean, she just enjoyed so much working at sewing and doing the, her own thing. That she didn't need people. She didn't have to call. But you know, some people, they can't stand to be in the house by themselves without getting on the phone and talking and talking and talking to people or inviting somebody over for some coffee. Just always have to have activity. Can't get alone and get quiet Poor guy. If they're in the house, the radio's got to be on. The television's got to be on. Something's got to be going all the time to keep them occupied. And God says, I'm going to get you over here all by yourself, all alone, and then I'm going to deal with you. Somebody said one time, if you want to improve in city lighting or the mail service, use the public. Get a crowd together, uh, pass a uh, petition, and put pressure on the the uh, ones that are in leadership. But if you want to improve yourself, get alone with God and His Word, and that's when the improvement's going to stop. If you never learn anything else from this message, that's where you will find the blessing. Not running over here and running over there and running in other place. The best place to find blessings is when when you get alone with God. Jacob did it. I just went down through the scripture again to find some Joshua in uh, Joshua the 5th chapter. Remember he uh, had just gone over the river and uh, conquered Jericho and Ai, and all of a sudden he looks up and this huge dude with a sword drawn was standing there. Now Joshua was not a fearful man. He walked over there and he said, Are you a friend or are you a foe, fellow? Just better speak up before I take your head and separate it from your body. Great big. How many of you know angels are not small? And he said, I am the captain of the Lord of the hosts, armies. And Joshua fell flat on his face. How many of you would, how I mean, how many, how many times would jo- Joshua have thought that right outside the city of Jericho where he'd had this victory, that he was going to run in and have a, a, a meeting with God? It's amazing to me how many times God surprises us in places that we never even dreamed that he would meet us. But when he sees somebody that is anxious to do his will, he'll How many of you remember the story of Gideon? Remember, Gideon was down in the wine press, sifting out a little bit of wheat, getting the, all the dust out of the wheat and all the uh, chaff out of the wheat, kind of blowing it out. And all of a sudden, somebody right behind him in the wine—he's trying to hide so that the enemy wouldn't see him, because they had stolen everything and taken all the crops and everything else. And here he had this little bit of grain, he was blowing the, the chaff out of the grain so he'd have something to eat. And someone stands behind him. He thinks he's all alone. Someone says, "Hail, Almighty Man of God!" He about jumped out of his skin. Here he was in a wine press, hiding from the enemy, and he had a meeting with God. Isaiah went to the temple. He'd been to the temple many, many times. You know, a lot of times, I, I really feel badly for people. I've had people that have come in for counseling, and they said, you know, I really have this problem. And I said, you know, uh, you weren't at church such and such a Sunday about three Sundays ago, and that's the very thing I spoke on. A lot of times, said, well, I've gone to church, I go to church, and I never get anything. You know, sometimes it's the very time you don't come that the enemy keeps you from coming, is when God has a word for you. I really believe that. I've had more people, when God has put a message in my heart, in my own heart, I think, Lord, that I, I know this is going to have to minister to such and such, because I know what they're going through. And I look around, they're gone. Well, you know, relatives came in, we went down to see Mickey, and we just and missed what God had for him. Some people say, well, I can get the tape. You know, sometimes God won't speak to you through the tape, like he will when you're right in Fellowship with the body of Christ and, the, and the, the presence of God's Spirit is there and working. But uh, Isaiah was in the temple when, I, when the king had died. King Uzziah died, he was in the temple, and he saw the Lord high and lifted up. He saw God in a whole new picture. High and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. And When Je- Isaiah, for the first time, saw God in his high and holy place, He cried out and said, Woe is me, for I'm undone, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in midst of a people of unclean lips. I want to tell you something. If you ever get alone, really alone with God, and really see and meet God, you'll begin to cry out and recognize your real true condition. You won't make excuses for all the the past and all the failures and all the inadequacies. You'll begin to cry out and say, God, do something about me. Not only did he see his own uncleanness, but the uncleanness of his people, and and they took coals off the altar, the angel did, and touched his lips and purged his lips. How about John the Baptist? You say, boy, I wish I could be John the Baptist. Well, maybe you need to go and dwell in the wilderness for a while. John the Baptist lived in the wilderness. He didn't go in and get affected by the Pharisees and the scribes and the religious leaders. He went out and said, God, what do you got to say to me? that's why Jesus said no greater prophet was ever than John the Baptist. He heard from God. And I want to tell you something. He was not afraid of people. He came in to the very leaders and he said, you bunch of snakes and scorpions, get out of my way. I have a message here from God. Are you the one? No, I'm not the one. I'm the one that's coming. I'm not even worthy to untie his shoelaces. But I want to tell you something right now. You better make straight the pathway because he's coming. and You better get prepared for the coming of the Lord. He could not have done that had he not met God alone somewhere. If you and I are worried about what other people think or what other people say, we need to have a meeting with God all alone and begin to see what God has to say. Because once you know what God has to say, it doesn't make one whit of difference what anyone else has to say. I remember years ago when I was studying this message, man came and that day I had settled in my heart, God, I know this is what the word says and I'm going to stand on it regardless. And he came and said, Thus saith the Lord, my son, you have won, you have won, you have won the victory, you have stepped over, and now the fear of man is gone. Praise God. How about the widow's son? How many of you know he probably didn't expect to meet God in the casket? On the way to the grave site, Jesus walked up and laid his hands on him and he met, met God and he was raised from the dead. That had to be a shocking experience for everybody. I mean, the mother didn't say, now, if we can go down this street, God will probably meet him halfway down. The street. Didn't, no expectation whatsoever. And God met him in a very unusual, unorthodox place. And Paul? Where did Paul go? He didn't go to the cemeteries, or seminaries. He, he went right for the desert. And while he was in the desert, that's when Jesus Christ revealed the revelation of the word that he had to give to the churches. He says, I was like an apostle born out of time. I came a little bit too late to live with Jesus Christ personally and walk with him personally, but the Lord revealed in the desert, the Lord revealed to me this gospel message. And when did God speak and meet with John the Beloved? On the Isle of Patmos. He was in the Spirit on the Lord's day when the Spirit of God came and Jesus Christ met him face to face. He spoke to him, he saw, and he gave the description of Jesus Christ on the Isle of Patmos. I'll tell you, the place of being alone is time and time again the place where the blessing of God can come. If you don't like to be alone, chances are you'll never have a real meeting place with God. If you and I want to be in the place of blessing, we need to get away from everybody and everything and say, God, I just want to hear from you. And some people will go in and say, God, I've got 35 seconds and I want to hear from you, so let's go. How many of you know God says, I'm not interested in talking to you? Do it on my timetable. He's never in a hurry, but he's never late. But he says, come now and let us reason together, say Lord. The place of blessing is a place of being alone. And man's most courageous hour is when he's willing to meet himself face to face before God. A place of separation. I want to ask you this morning though, how many times has God just impressed on your heart that you really need to get quiet before Him? Going to another revival meeting, going to another seminar, going to special meetings over here, going to this special preacher over here, going to where they're having all these exciting things happening. That isn't where it's at. Over and over again, those that met God in the Word met God when they were all alone in some totally unsuspecting area place. But you know what? It'll never happen to you unless you're hungry and thirsting after righteousness. God says, you draw a nigh to you take the initiative. you want to get close to me, you draw a nigh to me. I'll draw a nigh to you. you hunger and thirst after righteousness, I'll fill you. God does not go around with a gun and shoot you down and then stuff it in. You've got to come and say, Lord, I really need to hear from you. I really want to know the will of God in my life. I really want to know your purpose. I want you to search my heart. Try me and see if there be any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Lord, I just ask that you would just go through every corner, every crevice, every cabinet, every little nick, nook and cranny in my heart. I want you just to search me out completely and I want to give you complete control of my life. You start doing that. You'll begin to have God come in and meet you in a very special way. The place of blessing, first of all, is the place of being alone with God. Try to learn to just get alone and get quiet with God. I I know when I, sometimes when I think about fasting and getting alone with God, the first few hours I'm nervous because I've been so used to such a schedule, and I think, well, I should call such and such, well, I need to write. And so I finally just put a paper next to me, and I start just writing it down. That's for later. And it takes a few hours until finally all those things get out of my mind, and I put them all on paper and say, now, Lord, I'll do that afterwards, but I really want to meet you. Oh, somebody's knocking at the door. Well, I guess we're going to have to give this up. Is there any law saying that you have to answer the door? Oh, there goes the phone. Where is it in the bylaws of the telephone company that says you have to answer your phone? Did you see, we are so set that God says, I just want you alone. I want you to get quiet before me. I want to talk to you. Now, he doesn't, the minute you sit down, doesn't start saying, well, now, chapter 1, chapter 2. You have to get quiet before him and really open yourself up and say, Lord, I want it all out. I want you to clean me out. I want you just to purge me. That, you're showing me something in my heart, Lord, that's sin. I don't want it there. I'm asking you to remove it. In Jesus' name, I repent of it. I turn away from it. I forsake it in Jesus' name. I command it to set me free. And I claim cleansing through the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, Lord, is there any other area? You know, most of the reason we don't want to do it is because you ask him, he'll start showing you. You say, Lord, I don't want to talk about that. Lord, that's in my past. Get it all out. Well, oh, I can't, you know, Lord, I just can't get along with him. Get that out and go and deal with him. He said, if you're at the altar and you know you have aught against the brother or brother has aught, go take care of that first, then come back to the altar. Oh, we don't want it. that's too much. There are no shortcuts in coming into God's blessing. Genesis 32, steps to receiving God's blessing, talking about Jacob when uh, he was under stress and under pressure. First thing he had to learn about receiving God's blessing is the internal conditions had to be right. The internal conditions had to be right. He had to be totally submitted, dependent, crying out to God. And get his heart in the right place so that the Lord could work in his life. And we said the first thing was it was a place the place of blessing was a place of what? A place of separation. Verse twenty four and Jacob was left alone. And we talked about how time and time again, down through the history of the Old, Old Testament, New Testament, and of the early church, and up to this day, the greatest blessing people receive is not when they get into conventions and retreats and all these other things, but when they get alone with God and get the internal conditions right so that God can minister to them. And uh, you remember I said the most man's courageous hour is when he finally faces himself. Strange how we love ourselves so much and yet don't like to be with ourselves. And uh, that's why it's so important for us to get in that place and seek God's face in a place of separation. The second thing now is the place of blessing is also a place of struggle. Again, look at verse 24 there. It says, "...there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of day." This man, this angel evidently, came and wrestled with Jacob to subdue him and to show him that Jacob was his own worst enemy. Had to deal with the old nature. And I want to tell you, it's never easy for anyone to have to deal with their own self-sufficiency and realize that they are not sufficient in themselves to deal with pride. And this is why the man was there to deal with Jacob and his nature. Jacob's like a lot of us. We see in his lifestyle more or less a double-mindedness. Sometimes he was... Uh, it was kind of a curious mixture. He had faith and then sometimes unbelief and then honesty and then dishonesty and, and manipulation in his life and then he'd have great courage and then he would be fearful and self-dependent sometimes and other times trusting God. But most of the time his times of trusting God was when I said he was in a foxhole and really saw danger coming and God was looking at Jacob and wanting him to come to a place of total, unconditional, wholehearted surrender and this was the struggle that was going on here between him and the man. And as I looked at that, I thought, why don't we let this picture of Jabbok, the brook of just kind of fade away for a moment and forget about the land over there and see how that applies to our own life. One of the greatest problems you and I'll have in our daily walk is allowing God to deal with our own self-sufficiency. Where we say, Lord, I can't do it. God, I give up. I just quit. I remember when I was... In the ministry years ago in another church, uh, a young man who was attending our church and at the same time attending Bible college. But he was struggling. He wanted to do it his own way and do his own thing and have his own uh, agenda. And at the same time, he knew the claims of Christ that were coming against him. And every time he'd come to church and I'd preach, he would get under conviction and go back to school and be miserable. And he would sit up in his room, he said, and he would smoke cigarettes and they had storm windows on with little holes in the storm windows. And he would suck in the smoke and then he'd blow it out through the hole so they couldn't smell it in the room too strongly when they, if they came into his room in the uh, Bible College dormitory. And uh, he was just going through it. He says, the devil kept whispering in his life when I talked about a total commitment to Jesus Christ. He kept saying, I'm going to lose all my friends and if I get religious, I'm not going to have any fun. I'm going to be miserable and unpopular and I'm going to end up like a dried prune. And they're just I just can't make that, that plunge. I can't pay that price. So he came to my house one morning and I said, you need to get away from the crowd. You need to get away from all the noise that's around you. I want you to go out somewhere and get all alone. Just drive out somewhere and park. And you talk to God about what you want to do. And then when you're all done, come back and talk to me. And I remember he said he drove out in the country and he pulled up in a, in a uh, lane that was going out into a field. And he just turned off his radio and said, I'm going to sit here, God, until you begin to talk to me. I don't know how many hours he stayed there, but he came back way late in the day. And he said, I made my commitment to Jesus Christ. I met the Lord there in that position, in that place. Later on, I had the privilege of seeing him when he met a young lady and they fell in love. And uh, I performed the marriage ceremony, and that was almost 27 or 28 years ago. And uh, today he's out, has been out in a ministry in California ever since then. He and his wife and children. And he, he said, you know, all the lies the devil was telling me all that time when I was afraid I couldn't give up all these things. I, I still wanted to get along with the crowd. I still wanted to do some of the things that the world did so they wouldn't think I was a complete weirdo. And he said, but I had to give those things up in order to really be free. And uh, there's others, some maybe even here, that still have pockets of resistance in your life. And may I tell you, until the day comes that you make a total, unconditional surrender to Jesus Christ, there is no joy and there is no peace. There is no victory in our life until we come to that place where we stop struggling. I remember after Second World War hearing of years later, after VJ Day, uh, Victory Over Japan Day, uh, when different people even go on vacation would go to one of the Pacific Islands Uh, all of a sudden bullets would be ricocheting around them. They said, oh my goodness. And so they'd get some of the government people to come there and get on bullhorns and say, the war is over. You can come out now. The war is over. We won. America won. You can go back home to your family. And they'd have bullets whizzing at them again. And many times they wouldn't believe it until they got the Japanese to come. And they themselves would go back in the jungle and tell them the war is over. Some of these men had been living off the jungle for years after the war was over. And I see a lot of Christians that even after they said they've surrendered to Jesus Christ that they've still got pockets of resistance and about the time they think they're committed to Christ these pockets of resistance begin to show up again. And until we allow those things, it may be a habit, an amusement, a friendship, or we're compromising some way. Wherever your job is, it's a place of struggle. But the thing that I've found as a Christian is that place of struggle becomes the place of blessing. Don't fight the place of struggle. Realize that it's God that's working in you, both to will and to do His good favor. I remember how I used to fight all the time as a Christian, and struggle trying to overcome this and overcome that. When people do things to me, I'd react to them and I'd say, "I can take care of this, Lord. Don't worry about it." And uh, finally, I got into a meeting with the Lord, just quiet for the Lord. The Lord, I said, "I give up. I'm going to let you fight my battles from now on." That's why I said, "Lord, I want you to take all this temper away from me. I just submit to you. I'm going to let you fight my battles for me." And then I began to understand the principle of Christ in me, where I let Christ take charge and let Christ take control. Now, that doesn't mean you get stepped on. Being being meek does not mean mean being weak. It means knowing who you are in Jesus Christ and what your position is with Him, and you let Him take charge of all the situations. You see, the, the very fact that you and I go through struggles is evidence that God's dealing with us. The Holy Spirit is trying to work in our lives and uh, when you surrender in that place of struggle that's where God will bless you. Right where Jacob was and says he blessed him there. It's a place, of the, the place of blessing is a place of struggle but it's also a place of submission. Again, in that same place, verse 25 the morning began to break and the man says, now let me go I've got to go because the dawn's coming and uh Jacob quit fighting and began to cling to him. And he said, what did he say there? He said, I'll not let you go until you bless me. And in order to get free, the man reached down and touched the socket of his hip. And the socket went out of of joint. And uh, he walked with a a limp from then on. And uh, when he did it, tricky, shifty, Jacob suddenly lost all of his ability to dodge and and, uh, continue to resist. And so he just kept clinging and said, bless me, bless me, I'll not let you go until you bless me. Now Jacob, by the way, thought the blessing was being saved from Esau and his life preserved. A lot of times I've seen people come to an altar, oh God, protect my marriage, oh God, protect my relationship. God, I need finances, God, and they think that's the real problem. And I want to tell you something, usually when we're dealing with that kind of a problem, God says, no, I want to go deeper than that. When I deal with with a real root problem, the rest of the problem will be taken care of. You know, most people don't have financial problems, they have spiritual problems, and if they'll deal with the spiritual problems, God will take care of the financial problems. Some people have think they're having problems as far as friendship is concerned, no, their priorities of relationships is what it really is, they have not put Jesus Christ first in their life. And they're over here struggling trying to hang on to this relationship with their wife or their girlfriend or their boyfriend or whatever, and that's not where it ought to be. That ought to be a total commitment to Jesus Christ, say, Lord, you take care of it. If you want me to have him, I'll have him. If you don't want me to have him, I won't have him. Thank God if if I don't have him, if you don't want me to have him, no good thing will you withhold from them that walk uprightly, you said. I've seen more young people go through this struggle where they fight and scrap and everything, just trying to hang on to a relationship. And I say, let go of that relationship and build a relationship with Jesus Christ and say, now, Lord, you bring the relationship into my life that you want. But the place of struggle has to be a place of submission when he he said to him, uh, what is thy name? There in verse 27, you see that? He said, what is thy name? Now, when when you make a true confession and true submission, it'll produce a much greater blessing for you. What did he say? What did he say his name was? Jacob. What a confession he made. That word, remember, I told you Jacob means supplanter. Everything he had done up to that time had been by uh, shadiness and fraud and manipulation to get his birthright and the blessing and all these things in his life. And he had to make come to the place, he admitted his true nature. My nature is deceitfulness, and my nature is pride and cunning and, and the contentiousness. He admitted the true nature of his life. And Upon that confession and plea for mercy, when he was broken, he reached the place of blessing. Look there in verse 28. He didn't talk about whether he's going to be saved from Esau or anything. He went beyond that. He said, "Thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but what Israel. For a prince hast thou. For as a prince hast thou power with God and with men, and hast prevailed." That word, prince, is sar. It means prince with God, soldier of God, God wrestling, and God's prince. God says, now because you've submitted to me and you've admitted and confessed your nature and you've really committed your life totally to me, I'm going to make a mighty nation out of you. What do we call them over there in Palestine now? What's the name of that? Israel. They're Israelites. Is that right? They're the offspring of Jacob. Not Jacob now, but Israel, prince of God. You see, he thought his problem was Esau, but God says, no, I've got a greater problem. I want to make a mighty leader out of you. I want to make you a foundation or a a foundation stone to build a whole nation. There's no fullness of blessing today if there's any area yet that's uncommitted and unsurrendered to Jesus Christ. And I want to encourage you young people, the enemy's going to come and try to say, just keep this little area over here. And you just hold on to that for yourself. Don't tell mom and dad about this. Don't, no, don't go that far. I mean, he's going to do that to you continuously so you'll never be able to receive the blessing where God says, I'm going to make a prince out of you. I'm going to make a princess out of you. I'm going to make a ruler out of you. We have to stop contesting God's will for our life. If Jesus said, I have to love him with all my heart, soul, strength, and mind, that's exactly what I'm going to have to do. We've got to come to the place where we're willing to commit that and cling to him and say, Lord, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. I'm not going to seek anything else but you, because you said in your word, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Now when we do it, the devil's going to come and say, Oh, you're going to be stripped clean, you're going to be penniless, you're going to be unpopular, you're not going to make it. Remember, the devil was a liar from the beginning. Jesus said, I'm come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. And if you'll come through that struggle and submit to him, That's why I sang the song that I sang this morning. Oh, to be saved from myself, dear Lord. Oh, to be lost in thee. Oh, that it might be no more I, but Christ that lives in me. Now, when the blessing comes, the place of blessing then becomes a place of splendor. A place of splendor. Uh, first of all, it came from separation, then to struggle, then to submission, and now to splendor. This is the this is the road that uh, we see Jacob walking along here. And first, the first thing that was splendid was his new disposition, God-centered, yielded to the kingdom of God. He had just earned in that wrestle mad wrestling match an NMJ degree, and it's better than a PhD degree. NMJ degree means no more Jacob. He said, I've died to myself. He had learned to yield himself totally to Jesus Christ. Now, if you don't think an NMJ degree is better than a Ph.D., you ask your wife or your children or your neighbor or your friends. When someone has died to themselves and their own desires and their own goals and have submitted to Jesus Christ, the whole world can see there's a splendid change in their life. The second thing is, there was a new dynamic about Israel now that was splendid. It says, as a prince... Hast thou power with God and with man? Now it's interesting to note, he didn't. He, he defined the kind of power he was going to have. He didn't say, now you're going to have brain power. Because Jacob had always used brain power to plot and scheme and to get the things that he wanted and gain honor and glory, and it ended up in frustration realizing it would all be lost if Esau came with those 400 men. We always tend to try to think our way out of our problems. And I want to tell you something, God's going to bring things into your life where the day is going to come, you just say, God, there's no way out except you. There's mountains on both sides, the sea's in front of me, the Egyptians are behind me, the only thing I can do is look up and stand still and see the salvation of God. And I'll tell you, the more times God does that in your life, the more you'll learn that He is more than sufficient to open the sea. He's more than sufficient to take the bolts off the wheels of the chariots. He's more than sufficient to send the pillar of fire and the cloud before you and to direct you and lead you, if you'll just learn to cling completely to him. It wasn't brain power, and it wasn't leg power. See, up until that time, he could kind of run out of his problems and, and jump from side to side. But now that, that hip was out, he he knew that it wasn't going to be leg power that was going to get him out, and it wasn't willpower. Now, let me tell you, Jacob had a lot of willpower. Any guy that would work for 14 years to win a wife, and then six more years in order to get himself a few cattle and things and just feel like he was really privileged to work 14 years to get this gal he loved her so much. It took some real willpower. here he was, afraid he was going to lose it all. But this man said, now you're going to have God power. I had a young man I was ministering to some years ago, and I remember I wrote down what he said. He says, I know I can get what I want in my old carnal way, but I might lose my testimony doing it. So pray for me that Christ will be honored, and he'll have his way in my life. I said, when that happened, I said, you just came to a place of blessing and victory. Oh, yes, I can get out. and You know, when I used to sell, and a lot of you know I sold ever since I was in about fifth grade in grade school, and sold vegetables and poppies and carnations and you name it, I sold it, tickets to the air show and all this stuff, and I learned that you can manipulate people. You can get money if you want to. Go out and really work them over hard. And I had to repent and say, God, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to prostitute the gifts that you've given to me. you called me to preach. And when I was singing before I was a Christian, I was supposed to sing in an orchestra out on the West Coast when I became 18. And I said, Lord, since I've committed my life to you, I'll never sing for the world at all. I'll only sing songs that will glorify you. And I want to tell you something. I'm glad I made those decisions when I was young. Because it gave me a new dynamic. Israel had power with God and with man. Then there was a new new disclosure in that place of blessing that was also splendid. With awe, Jacob bowed and declared something there in verse 30. What did he say? Verse 30. I have seen God face to face and my life is preserved. I don't know about you, but I think that Jacob put him in proper order there. I think if he had to take his choice between the two, he'd rather see God face to face than even worry about whether his life is going to be preserved. Remember Stephen standing when he was stoned? He looked up and seeing the face of Jesus, he didn't worry about the fact his life is gone. He said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Jacob began to put things in proper order and there was a disclosure that he said, now by the way, it wasn't the first time he had seen uh, the miracles of God. Remember when he was lying with his head on a stone, he dreamed and he saw this ladder going up to heaven and angels ascending and descending. But this was never so clearly with such transforming results. He became a new person. I just want to tell you, though, you don't have to have a trance. You don't have to go down under the power. You don't have to have a dream to see God. But to see him with your soul, you have to submit completely to him and his will. And you have to worship and praise him and hold him dear and above all your earthly possessions. I still remember when Jesus called Peter to the side after he had risen from the dead. He says, lovest thou me more than these? And I think that probably Peter was there by the lake side of the the Sea of Galilee and there was a boat and there was nets and there were fish and there were friends. And I wonder if Jesus didn't say, Peter, lovest thou me more than all of these? Are you going to put me first and keep me first now? I want to tell you something. There's going to come a time in your life when Jesus Christ is going to see the things that you hold on to and he's going to come to you and say, do you really love me more than these? Are you willing to lay them down and put them away? I've known of missionaries that have been asked that question when they've had their their wife and their children all die on the mission field. I've known of pastors who have had the the same thing happen to them. They had to come to the place where they said, you know, Jesus Christ is my magnificent obsession. He's more important to me than anything else in life. I've seen people lose every earthly possession. I've seen some of them do it and become sour and bitter and turn away from God, which told me they were full of covetousness. And I've seen others say, The Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He is my source. I'll trust Him. And later on saw how God had restored them. But the question was, were they willing to go down first and humble themselves so that Jesus Christ could lift them up? We have to be able to see God in Jesus Christ. When we arrive at the place that Jacob came to, it'll be with us as it was with Jacob. Others will see Jesus in us and see that we have earned the NMJ degree no more jacob degree. now there was a new day that was splendid also and that's in verse 31 and as he passed over penuel the sun rose up on him now when he saw and met esau it's a beautiful thing in chapter 33 and verse 4 the one thing that he had feared so much that had driven him to God, and by the way, many times God will allow all these fears to come into our life just to get our attention. and Then he'll make the problem dissolve completely. It says there in verse 4, And Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him and he wept. No tragedy, no revenge, but tears of reconciliation because he now was walking in a place of obedience to God and the word of God says when a man's ways please the Lord he makes what even his enemies to be at peace with him. Some people try to manipulate and work to try to get people like him again. When your ways please the Lord, God will bring these these make bring reconciliation into your life. It says and he blessed him there. Place of blessing is usually a very strange and unlikely place. Yet it became the gate to heaven for one who, through struggle and submission, found God would meet him. And in meeting him, all of his other needs were met. I call it the place of blessing. Where is it? Where is the place of blessing? It's right where you are right now. Wherever you are tonight, whatever your situation is, whatever your struggles and fears might be, right where you are is a place of blessings if you're willing to pay the price like Jacob is. Or you can earn your NMJ degree. No more Jacob degree. Dying to myself. Submitting to Christ. And you're a royal generation. A royal priesthood. Nobody else can bring you to that place of blessing. You have to seek that place of blessing. You have to get alone with God. Separate Quiet before the Lord. Say, Lord, I want you, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to show me the areas of struggle that are in my life. And by an act of my will, I want to tell you ahead of time, you'll show it to me. At whatever the cost, I will see to it that it's dealt with. I will submit to the will of God and the word of God. When we come to that place, God says you're going to have to die to yourself. What did Paul say? He said, I die daily. I have a funeral service every single day for myself. It's not me, but Christ that lives in me. It's not Paul, Saul anymore. Old Saul's dead. Now it's Paul the Apostle. And Christ lives in me. And he said, That's why I glory in tribulations. Why? Because that's the place of blessing. When the struggles come and we submit, then God blesses and honors us for it. Now, I don't know what that struggle is in your life, but I want to tell you something. Wherever it is right now, whatever you're dealing with in your own life, that can become the place of blessing for you if you'll pay the price and submit completely to Jesus Christ. You say, well, that thing's a thorn in my flesh, it can become a place of blessing. Victory for. You. And you can come out with a brand new disposition, a brand new day in your life. Today would be the tomorrow will be the first day of the rest of your life for Jesus Christ. But no one else can fight that struggle for you. No one else can show you how to be willing to give it up. The Holy Spirit right now is showing you any area where there's a struggle in your life. And he's saying, I want to deal with that in your life. And he may have to reach down and touch touch you, where you'll have a mark for the rest of your life if you aren't willing to submit. But I am just so glad that Jacob said, I'll not let you go until you bless me. You know, when we get that desperate, God says, I'll be there. You don't have to go to some evangelist or some big preacher, or some big concert to get it. You get it alone with God. When you come out, and others look to you. So what have you got? Where did you get that? Oh, place a blessing. Those are the steps to a place of blessing. And if you want it, you don't need anyone else, just yourself. Like Jacob and the angel, just you and God. He says, you draw nigh to me, I'll draw nigh to you. If you'll submit, I'll take everything you have and fill you with my spirit and use you. That's, the, that's the, what you know some Christians call, and some denominations call that sanctification. Others call it the second definite experience. Some call it the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Some call it the baptism of the Holy Spirit. All different names. But the most important thing is it's a place of struggle where you submit totally to Jesus Christ, unconditional surrender to Him, and let Him become Lord and Master of every area of your life. and He makes you become a Prince of God. And nobody else has to tell you what you are. You know that you know that you're in a right relationship with Him.